Chapter 18 The Aftermath Recovery Management Saturday, 1 August 1970 USS Card en route to Gitmo 0530 The shrill whistle of the boatswain's pipe again hurtfully interrupted the slumber and general ambience of a moving ship at sea. Now, Reverend Everly, all hands heave out and trice up. 0700 now the morning meal is being served on the mess decks. Uniform of the day is the working uniform. 0720 Now on deck, Section Bravo. Lifeboat crew to the watch to muster. 0750 Now officers call. 0800 Mr. Hooper assumed the con. 0815 Now sick call. All hands having need report to sick bay. 11.15. Now, sweepers, sweepers, man your brooms. Make a clean sweep down, fore and aft. Clean all lower deck ladders and passageways. Empty all trash cans. Now, sweepers. In spite of the damage and the sorrow of lost shipmates, routine must be maintained. Everyone knew that they were expected to continue on doing what they needed to do, countless tasks that were a necessary part of everyday shipboard activity. The business continued according to the plan of the day. But something was different now. The business became more important. A new attachment had been formed. An attachment each sailor knew was there just out of reach. And now it is all too real. The captain stood on the bridge and looked down across the weather decks at the sailors going about the business of the ship. As he glanced at the various groups assembled on deck, he was reminded again of the isolation of command. After the noon meal, the order to turn to and commence ship's work was piped. 1600. The USS Card pulled into Gitmo Bay. This is USS Card. Request berthing instructions. We have three dead, two wounded. We have eight Cuban prisoners, two officers, three are enlisted from the Cuban Navy. There are three pirates. One is the pirate leader. Card was instructed to moor at a pier near the Navy base. Base police, a contingent of Marines and civilians representing the State Department, met them and took the prisoners. Two ambulances were dispatched to take the dead and wounded to the base hospital. The remains of the bodies of the shipmates who had fallen in battle were transferred to the base morgue, where they were prepared for their last journey home. The wounded were taken to the base hospital, where they were given medical treatment. At the insistence of each wounded sailor, and the permission of the card's captain and doctor, they were permitted to return to the ship for the journey home. 1900. A radio messenger knocked on Captain Mills' stateroom door. The radio messenger was wearing dress whites and a white guard belt. Come in. The messenger pushed the door open and entered. A radio message from Nav Base Mayport, Captain, he said as he extended his hand holding the message. The captain retrieved the paper and read it as the messenger stood at attention and waited for further orders. Very well. Send this message. The messenger clicked the point of the ballpoint pen into service and prepared to write on the pad he had in his hand. My dear Miss Benson, I will make the arrangements. And God bless you. Robert Mills, USNR-R, USS Card Commanding. Good night, Captain. He did an about-face and exited the stateroom door, pulling the door closed behind him as silently as he could. The destroyer escort commander read the message again, this time took time to ponder the significance of the words and the intention of the sender. My dear Captain Mills, 
My husband and I received a letter from our son Robert Benson, postmarked Mayport Naval Shipyard. He informed us that he met a girl, Brenda Phelps, and that although he had only known her for a few hours, he was going to marry her. He said she had no family. He was going to make her part of our family, even though it meant that he would have to go into the regular Navy as a gunner's mate. I understand they were killed together. Would it be possible to have her remains placed in the same coffin with our son's remains and bury them together? I understand there is not much left of either of them after such a devastating blast. We want to honor Robbie's desire to make Brenny part of our family. Sincerely and respectfully, Mrs. Philip Benson. The captain contacted the Navy base morgue and set up a meeting with the medical examiner. 2100. Captain Mills arrived at the morgue, found the medical examiner, who was still processing the remains brought in from the USS card. The captain asked him if he could place the remains of Phelps and Benson in the same casket. As you probably know, Commander, I am a stickler for by-the-book practices. It is highly unusual to grant such a request. I realize your predicament, Doctor. But I have heard that you are sympathetic to the families of fallen warriors. Phelps had no family, and the Bensons want her remains to be buried with her son since they were engaged to be married. Highly unusual, Commander, but not prohibited. Consider it done. I'll put the ID tags in the same box. There was not much to put in either one of them, you know. I know. Thank you. The card roved the movement of the water, generating a squeak of rubber fenders against the pier. It was as if the ship was seeking a comfortable position to rest and gather strength for the next action that will be required of her. Chapter 18 Executive Assessment After Action Assessment In any organization, there is never a question as to whether we should take risks. In order to grow and develop or in order to maintain our present position, we must make risks and take action to make some change that makes something happen. We cannot avoid risk. Avoiding risk is like not making a decision to handle some situation. The lack of a decision is a decision that we have no control over. The same is true with risk-taking. There are small risks, there are great risks, and there are life and death risks. As managers of managers, we have responsibility for the health and stability of an organization and the people employed in it. We have to know how to take reasonable risks. How the executives handle the risks affects one's career, professional, and personal growth. Earlier in this series, we explored the art and science of risk management. When a critical situation occurs, in spite of your risk management initiatives, one is faced with the need to take some action that is riddled with risk, with no clear assurance that any decision will be the right one. The confrontation with the Cuban was not the only major risk the captain had to address in his course of his command of the card. He took risks getting the organization to cooperate with getting the ship seaworthy and then combat ready. He took a risk taking the ship out to sea knowing that it would lose all power without foundering. He took a risk taking on the storm when top management and other commanders thought it was not necessary. He took a risk agreeing to take on the adversarial force at Guantanamo. And now he is faced with the greatest risk yet, the prospect of taking on hostile warship with another sovereign nation bent on the destruction of his command and its crew. 
Risk-taking requires some responsible thinking. Depending on how much time one has in making the decision to go ahead with a risky action, that thought process will take as long as your time allows. Sometimes it is months, sometimes weeks, days, or hours. Sometimes, like this one, we have only a few seconds to consider. Using the questions below, let's assess our decision to take on the Cuban. Assessing the situation. What was the risk? What did we do about it? Why did we take that action? What were the outcome and the consequences? Did our action provide the results we wanted? What could we have done differently? What will we do to ensure there is no next time or that we will take the correct action the next time? Who interfered with or obstructed the engagement because they failed to act? Assess the risk. Did we assess the risk correctly in our last assignment? Based on our assessment, did we do the right thing taking on the Cuban? Did we accurately identify and examine the external and internal pressures? Recognizing the short time span for assessing the situation and the consequences, did we accurately consider the outside and inside support making our decision? It appeared as though Comres Desron, Comres Desdiv, Gitmo Nav Base, Sinklant Fleet were not comfortable with the card taking on the Cuban. Did the fact that the card prevailed relieve Mills from the consequences of the encounter? The Cuban executive officer said there were a hundred pirates, and they did not scuttle the ship. The captain did not believe him. One may think there is an ethical problem here. One may ask it is ever a good policy to support another's after-action report when it contains some errors, even if the information was of no consequence. The answer lies in the questions. Will the information hurt someone if it is discovered? To what extent does this information create a harmful circumstance that could be avoided? The captain asked for information from his officers. He did not ask for advice or a decision. The captain was sure the information he received was factual and honest. His people did not withhold vital information, even though it was bad news. One may want to ask, what were the conditions that afforded that level of honesty? The captain had set a climate for dealing with reality, not fantasy, as they had before he came on board, and that attention to the real facts that had to be realistically addressed brought in with it trust that the messenger of bad news would be rewarded and not shot. Evaluate Alternatives In some cases, alternative assessments must be made quickly and one chosen before it's too late. In cases where major incidents have been anticipated, alternative actions have been pre-decided. One can resort to training and conditioning for those evaluations. Sometimes, the situation strikes so suddenly that there are no other alternatives viable or visible. This is the time when opportunity and preparation meet. There were other alternatives beside the ones Captain Mills and his staff recognize, and Mills will need to explain those alternatives in an official inquiry but he must be able to explain why the other alternatives would not suffice and he would need to effectively defend his decision. Evaluating Progress The executive in charge of the turbulent conditions must have methods for keeping track of the progress toward resolving the issues of the crisis. Feedback agencies or systems are in place to provide instant update information of changing conditions and recommendations if progress is not satisfactory.
the manager in charge of leading in the turbulence must continuously evaluate the progress. There needs to be milestones that indicate whether actions taken are accomplishing the mission. Adjustments must be made the moment situations change or the plan appears to be failing to secure the target outcome. In a difficult operation, and specifically in a crisis, the one in command must have competent subordinates available to provide accurate information in which the commander can determine progress and make adjustments. If those subordinates skilled enough to offer recommendations for courses of action, so much the better. Of course, the one in command of the situation has the ultimate responsibility for the outcome and thus is the one to select the action they deem appropriate, whether their own assessment or another. Dealing with the outcomes. Once the crisis has been engaged and the consequences of the engagement have materialized, one must have a plan to handle those consequences, whether negative or positive. What do you suppose will be the consequences of this engagement? What should be the captain's plan for dealing with those consequences? In the meeting with the Cuban officer, there are some reasons to suspect the Cuban's report was not exactly accurate. There were some questions about the number of pirates and the swift sinking of the ship, to name just two. Apparently, the captain's evaluation of his adversary's exaggerated report was in the best interest of the ship's crew, the officer's career, and the reputation of the lost ship. Some would say the captain should report what he and his officers suspected, that any official report should not contain self-serving purposes. The question that needs to be considered is, in what way would questioning the veracity of such a report as this benefit anyone? When only hurt can be achieved by questioning a course of action, then there is nothing to gain by this hurt. Perhaps a prudent silence is called for. The Benson family asked for a favor that was way out of line with the established order. But Captain Mills and the base medical examiner realized there will be times when the established order is not in order. When it is in the power of the decision makers to do good or withhold good, the steward commander will never withhold good. After Action Review At the closure of the crisis or at the place where this turbulence is under control, an after-action review is necessary for lessons learned and provisions for preventing reoccurrence or provision for handling the next occurrence or a similar occurrence. An after-action report, or AAR for short, is a document detailing and evaluating the actions previously taken by a group or individual as part of a goal-oriented exercise or series of exercises. Organizations often compile and review such reports to determine how they can maximize the success of its operations. To ensure that your after-action report helps the organization in question improve its performance, familiarize yourself with the correct format for such a report.